Um, I want to tell you uh, how this series was inspired, um, and before I do that, it's, it, I want to say this as well. Last week, at this time, I was down here on my four-wheeler spinning in the, and it was 17 degrees, we were full of ice, and right now it's 70 degrees. Welcome to North Georgia, all right? That's how we roll here. I love it. So, never know what's going to happen. I love the change. But uh, several, a couple months ago, uh, I did a, a come forward invitation at the end of the service, and um, I was just absolutely blown away by the amount of people that I dealt with in that service who were having marital issues. And uh, just in the 12, after the 1245 service alone, I stayed more than a half hour after the service, about 10 people deep, couples, people by themselves, just talking about marital issues. And so I told our staff, I said, we, we need to talk about this at the beginning of the year and, uh, and then roll out something else after that that I think is going to help. And I'm going to talk about that at the end of the service. But so... Um, we want to just uh, also tell you that, uh, and by the way, if you don't know, this is my wife, Amy. Uh, many of you have never met her before, and uh, she is much, much my better half. And so she's speaking with me, not just this morning, but also next week. And then the last week, uh, our counselor, Chip Judd, is going to be speaking, and you do not want to miss that, trust me. He says things that I probably wouldn't say up here, and things that are just so profound. Uh, you're going to want to be here for that. But um, anyways... I've had several people also tell me uh, that because they're single or older and single or a college student or whatever or a high school student, that they weren't going to come during the month of January. They'd see me in February. And I want to say to you, don't do that, okay? Um, we're going to say some things in this series that are going to be about relationships. You can apply some of this stuff to friendships, to your relationships with your kids or your parents or, or whatever. And if you're planning on getting married one day, you want to have this stuff in your back pocket. Okay, so just as, you, as we roll this out over the next several weeks, just know that, ask God to help uh, make this important to you right now, whether it's in the future or even with what you're going through right now. Um, Amy's going to kick us off with a little intro to talk about how we got to this topic, and uh, so take it away. All right, so something happened to us in August. We drove our youngest son up to Virginia and dropped him off at college, and we officially became empty nesters. And so um, it's a lot, in a lot of ways, it's awesome. And it's also very challenging. Awesome because you get to do what you want, you know? You get to eat what you want and go do whatever you want to do. Um, it's challenging because, gosh, we just miss our boys so, so much. We just, we actually wind up talking to them almost every day. And we get to see them a lot. So that's cool. But, um, I remember when we dropped Zach off and we came home, we went to the grocery store together, which we don't usually do, and um, we were pushing the cart around, and for the first time in 20 years, we weren't thinking about what the boys want to eat, you know, buying all the Gatorade and all the protein stuff and all this. We're like, well, what do we want to eat? And, and we bought two little hamburger patties, and it just cracked me up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. So later that week, we ordered a pizza, and we got a small pizza, and we didn't quite even finish it all. I'm a lightweight. <laughs> so um, it's, it's been very interesting, really cool, but an interesting stage of life for us. So we have walked through several stages of life together, the dating stage, the newlywed stage, and then the infant when you get no sleep stage, and, and having little kids running around, and then having big kids dictate your whole schedule to where you're doing whatever it is that they're doing, and uh, it's all been great, but um, through different stages, we were talking the other day, realizing that we have had friends who have gotten divorced in all of those stages, 
And I would, I would guess that probably the most revealing stage would be the empty nest because it's one of those things that, you know, is kind of hidden and doesn't come out. It's a little slow drift. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't even think we know each other anymore. I'm not even sure we like each other anymore. And so we are watching so many people struggle in their marriages at this stage, but um, we are so passionate about healthy relationships just all the way around. And so we want to share with you a few things that we've learned, and we are so not experts. (laughs) We have a great marriage, but not a perfect marriage. But um, the things that we're continuing to learn in our view from the empty nest. Yep. And so before I do that, uh, before we jump into number one, Paul told me to do this, I want to do this. I want to welcome all of the folks who are in our overflow room right now. We have so many people here this morning that we have set up an overflow room. So would you welcome all of those folks who are here today? They're getting steak and lobster and all kinds of good stuff. So I just, just want you to know that's how we take care of our overflow people. Pays to be a little late. Um, first thing that we have learned um, and, and are continuing to learn, and I, and I want you to, it's important, and I think you want to write this stuff down or, or copy it. Uh, it's in your, it's in your, uh, your handout uh, on, on, online. But first of all, is to make marriage your first ambition. Now, the word ambition is defined as a strong desire to achieve something. We all, we all have some kind of ambition uh, of one kind or another. The, the first ambition for a married couple has to shift from your focus on your career or on yourself or on raising children or some outside pursuit to loving your spouse passionately. That has to be your first ambition. Now, I know that, that so many of you uh, who are here today, because I've talked to you about this before, you have never seen this model before. You have never, uh, you have never seen a good marriage. That, maybe that's the house you grew up in. And so you don't know exactly what to do, or you have very limited um, knowledge of Scripture or even of spiritual things. So how does, how does this happen in a marriage? Well, let me start with a basic truth. Matter of fact, it's so basic that so often we, we just blow it off because it may be the first thing that you ever heard or uh, when, you know, when you were growing up or when you first became introduced to, to Christ or Christianity. But it's foundational to everything about your life and everything about your marriage. And here it is. God loves you. I want you to write that down. God loves you. Now, I know some of you, you don't fully understand that or you don't even know what to do with it. And maybe it's because either you don't believe it or you, or you don't actually feel it. But here's the truth. You cannot love someone else the way you're supposed to love them without truly understanding that truth. And this isn't, again, this is not just for married people. This is for, this is for all of our relationships. Here's what we have to do. We have to make the invisible become visible in our marriages. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's a fact. God loves you and he loves me. He loves Amy with a fierce, ferocious, passionate love. He loves you. He loves you the, in, in the same way, in the same way that he loves his church. He visibly demonstrated that love by giving his life for us. But in the day-to-day moments, as I try to re- receive and rest in God's love, here's the challenge. I can't, I can't see it sometimes. I can't feel it. It's, it's invisible. But here's what I've done. I choose to believe it. And as I choose to believe that truth and I live in it and I discover the depths of resting and receiving his love, I then begin to live my life and lead Amy and our family out of the overflow of that love. Now, very powerful passage of scripture. One verse, seven words, but so much power packed into these words. 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. 
Now, here's the challenge that so many people have, and I, under, I, I understand this firsthand. So does Amy. We spend so much of our time trying to pursue God's love when he's already loved us as much as he's ever going to love us instead of receiving his love and learning to rest in it. I cannot make Amy the first ambition of my heart without receiving and resting in the love of God. When I married her, here's what I did. I promised her through our vows to faithfully and freely love her forever. I cannot fulfill those vows apart from the love of Christ in me. But because of this love, I can fulfill my vows to her. Because of his love for me, I'm able to make the invisible become visible to her. I love her out of an overflowing love for me. And that love allows me and empowers me to make our marriage my very first ambition. The, The vows I made to her, which were nearly 25 years ago, I, they put a picture of us on Facebook, and I, I, I looked at that, and I went, man, I miss that hair. Um, <laughs> it was thick. It was dark. And just by the way, you know, I, it's gray now. And I just mine you was know, dark several hair colors ago. Just so you know, several of, there's, some of your names are in each one of these gray hairs. I just want you to know that. So, um, but, the, the, but the vows that I made to her was to, to love her above all else. Those vows, that when I, when I say those, and I truly live those out and believe those, that, that begins to shape everything else around me. In other words, everything I do as the pastor of this church, everything I, I do as, uh, as a dad, as a husband, as a leader of, of some different nonprofits that we're involved in, everything that I do outside of my marriage becomes shaped by the vow that I made to Amy to love her above all else. And, uh, all else. In other words, she becomes my first ambition. Now, I want to tell you this. My first few years of ministry... I had this all wrong, our first few years of marriage, to be honest with you. I, I had this idea that everything, okay, my marriage, my parenting, my friendships, everything flowed from my career. My call, for me, it's my calling to ministry. It's what I do. Um, from my earliest memories, um, I have been this very driven, hardworking, hard-charging person. When Amy and I got married in 1992, this created some problems for us because I had this mindset that my ministry came before our marriage. When we had kids uh, in 1995, all of a sudden, it, we entered into a whole new realm of problems. In 1997, it even got more, uh, even worse when, uh, when we started this church because my work before everything else mentality began to not only impact my marriage, but again, to be, impact my kids. When, when you watch your kids all of a sudden acting out behaviors and they looks like you, it looks like your problems, you go, uh-oh, we got problems. And then it began, as I, we got into this church and the church started growing quickly, it began to impact my physical health. I had a friend that had, uh, has a mutual, had, a, had a friendship with Andy Stanley. And if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, he pastors a pretty big church. Um, I was going to say in Alpharetta, but now he pastors all over Atlanta. Um, but I admired him from afar. I'd never met him before, but I had just listened to some things that he had talked about when it came to family and marriage. And so I asked my friend, I said, can you get me a lunch with Andy Stanley? And he said, probably not, but I'll try. Well, the next thing I know, I'm sitting, it's a Tuesday, I'm sitting across a, a table at a P.F. Chang's in Alpharetta with Andy Stanley. Now, normally when I meet with anyone, any pastor or whatever, I bring about five questions hoping to get about, through about three of them. I had one question for Andy Stanley. It was the year 2000. This church was growing quickly. I was working probably 70, 80 hours a week, blowing and going. My kids were going off the rails. We were struggling. Uh, and I looked at Andy and I said, how do I continue to pastor this church without losing my marriage or losing my kids? And what he said to me changed my life. 
He looked across the table and he just said, you have to choose to cheat. I said, what are you talking about? I mean, cheat? I'm thinking, that's not good. He goes, you have to put your marriage and your family before your work, before your career. You have to cheat the ministry, cheat, cheat your career, and do no, no longer cheat your family or marriage. And I'm thinking, okay, that just flips, up every, it flips upside down everything that I had been taught, everything that I was all about. And then he looked at me and he said, God never promises to make up for misguided priorities. And I started thinking to myself, just in my world, how many ministry, how many guys did I know who were in ministry who had ter- bad marriages? A lot of people. How many guys did I know that were in ministry that, whose kids were, had gone off the rails? I mean, a lot of guys, even you know, missionaries and the whole thing. And I said, I don't even know how to do this. And he said, you need to come up with a work week that's going to allow you to put your marriage and your kids. And so I came back, uh, we went back to his office. And, and, and one thing that's really important, why he was so passionate about this was, This was a Tuesday. On the Sunday before that, on the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, it said this, Dr. Charles Stanley and his wife divorce. That's why he was so passionate about what we were talking about. He actually wrote a book on this topic. And so we went back to his office. He gave me a CD of this message. I put it in my little truck CD player, drove all the way back from Alpharetta, and cried my eyes out because I had never heard. And somebody that I admired for the very first time gave me permission to do something that I didn't know I could do took that CD to an elders retreat up in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Had about probably seven or eight guys. I said, guys, I just want you to listen to this. We played that. And I look around the room and all these guys, who are, many of who are still in this room right now, had tears rolling down their face. And I'm thinking, okay, this isn't just a ministry thing. This is, this is in general, guys and ladies, we are cheating our marriages, cheating our family for the sake of, of a career of, driven, of, of drivenness. And so from that point on, I rolled back and, and asked our staff, we're going to roll back our work week to something that allows us to put our marriages and our kids before this church, before, and we're going to see what God can do. And I can, I'm going to tell you something, we have not missed a beat because of making that decision back in the year 2000. Now, I want to tell you, I want to tell you what was going on there. And I've never said this before until this morning. What was going on with me and why I was like that was because I was so driven and I I had such a desire to perform and try to earn God's approval in his favor, to try to earn his love. But here's the truth and here's what I know. God loves me and he loves you as much as he's ever going to love you. And you could never get your arms around it. You You could never measure it. It's way beyond our minds can comprehend. In other words, I don't, and neither do you, we don't have to perform any longer to earn his love. Jesus did all of that for us. So as I have grown to understand the depths of his unconditional, unmerited love that Christ has for me, I've learned over the years to slow down, to relax, and just to rest in, in him. I'm learning right now to, to, to give this drivenness. It's not something that, you know, has all gone away. This, this passion to succeed at work I've learned to give it over to the Lord, to actually what the Bible says, to sanctify it, to give it to him, which means to set it apart for his glory. And as I do, here's what I do. I let him order my ambitions and my priorities, and he empowers me to make my marriage my first ambition, and then I lead everything else out of that ambition and the overflow of love that he has for me. It doesn't just imply to guys in ministry. It applies to every single one of you. All right? Number two. All right, number two, it's understand that only Christ can be everything you need. Um, One of the things I love about our house, whenever our boys are home, is that there's just so much laughter. Like, it's crazy and fun most of the time. 
And our boys are always given these crazy movie quotes that I don't know what the movies are from, where the quotes are from, what movies go with what quote. But they're like listing them off every single day. And they're all into fantasy football and sports stats, like all the players and who they used to play for and all these stats. And you don't, and know, you don't know a lot of sports stats. No, I don't. And um, so when we're at home, there's just like all this fun stuff going on with the boys. So when we dropped Zach off and came home, I remember that week I looked over at Brian and he's sitting on the couch. And I thought, nobody's making him laugh. I felt really bad and thought, nobody's telling jokes around here. Nobody's throwing out sports stats and movie quotes. Like, I'm not the stats girl. That's not nice, who I but am. But I like looking at you. I, <laughs> the things he says that aren't like stick They're not stick in my notes. Script. Um, <laughs> and so I remember thinking, this is sad. Like I felt like maybe this is my job. I'm supposed to be like super fun and, and like maybe... In my back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm new at this empty nesting. Maybe, like, maybe I'm not that fun anymore. Maybe you might not like me that much anymore. And then it's occurred to me, I cannot be everything this man needs, right? Only God can be everything that we need. Through Christ, we get filled up. No one can have anyone in your life that can be everything that you need. If you are married or if you're single or if you're in high school, or you're a grandparent, you cannot look to any person or any circumstance to fill you up and meet all of your needs or even um, determine how you feel about yourself. We can only look to God for that. So last week when Brian uh, did the online message during the weather, um, he shared this verse, and I'll read it to you. It's Colossians 2, 9, and 10. It says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And just to take in that first part of that verse is overwhelming. Like God became a person. Jesus was God. That's why when he died on the cross for us and paid our way to heaven, it was enough to get us there because the fullness of God was put into Jesus. And because of that, it says you are complete through your union with Christ, not because of a person or a career or some circumstance or because you found the right person to get married to. No one completes us. Only Jesus can do that. So then how do we live this out? Here's a few quick things. First of all, we can listen to what God's word says about us. When we read his word, he tells us that we're so loved, that we're worth dying for. And then we can talk with God and we can tell him how we feel. Sometimes I feel like I need to vent, don't you? Instead of venting out on Facebook or Instagram, we can vent to God. We can just tell him everything that we think. We can ask for wisdom and understanding so that we can discern the truth from the lies. And that's what I love about um, the Bible being our sword. Like, what does the sword do? It cuts. And I never really fully understood that, but I began to realize that it cuts through the truth and the lies and it separates them so that we can tell the difference between what's real and what's not real. And we can preach the truth to ourselves. And then we can ask God to renew our minds so we know what his will is. When we get everything that we need from him, we can say, God, I need you to renew my mind. Help me think clearly. Sometimes I'm jacked up and I just need you to renew my mind. And then lastly, we can just decide, well, I'm going to believe what God says about me. 
I'm just going to choose to believe it. He said he has a hope and he has a plan and he has a future for me. So no person or circumstance can complete us. We can't be everything that somebody needs, but God can do that. He has every single thing that you need. And when you fill up on Jesus, then he's the one that gives us that significance and that security that we need. So are you saying that when Tom Cruise looked at Renee Zellweger and Jerry (laughs) Maguire and said, you complete me, that he was wrong? It was sweet. So sweet. But it was wrong. (laughs) Third thing, make your spouse your lifelong project. Make your spouse your lifelong project. Now, I want to give you a couple things. It could be many, many things. But I want to give you a couple things that we've just tried to learn to do to to make this happen. The first thing is just real simple. Pray together. Now, we're not perfect at this. Okay, I don't want you to think that every single day for the last, you know, 24 and a half years that we've prayed together. Because we haven't. But we've tried to make prayer a priority in our marriage since day one. It has been a foundational peace to the growth and healthiness of our marriage. Here's why. Because prayer releases the Holy Spirit's power in your marriage. It helps, it helps us to move past apathy and, and past complacency. It helps you to stay in love and then to live out that love every single day. It helps me to think about Amy all throughout the day. The Holy Spirit just puts her on my heart and on my mind all day long. Um, early on when we were dating, there was something about our relationship. And, and I had been through some really bad relationships before I met Amy. And so I, had a, I just had this mentor who was pulling, just pouring into my mind, helping me think straight. And uh, I remember talking to him one day, and, and there was something that I was struggling with about our relationship and about us. And, and, I, and I asked him, I said, listen, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. And he said, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about this. You, just, you, don't, you don't put this on her. Just pray about it. Now, the reason I, he didn't want me to put it on her because it was kind of superficial and, and he said, here's what's going to happen. Either God's going to change you, he's going to change the way you think, or he's going to change her. He's going to, you know, make a change in what's going on. Well, here's what happened. All of a sudden, God changed my heart about the issue. All of, it was no longer an issue for me. And later on, he changed her, which he didn't even have to do. He made that change in Amy. But he had already changed my mind, changed my heart about it, so it wasn't a big issue anymore. But here's the deal. By nature, and many of you can relate to this yourself, I can be a very self-centered, very demanding person. And so can you. The Holy Spirit changes those things about me. The Spirit changes my focus on, you know, me or other things to put my focus on Amy. He helps me to relax and rest and enjoy our relationship, which is all so much is ignited by our prayer life. Praying together keeps our attitudes in check. Through prayer, our hearts stay tender towards each other. I, I cannot be mad at Amy and then say, okay, let's pray together. I just can't do it. Um, knowing that we're going to pray together forces me to keep a record of wrongs. It forces me to humble myself and apologize, to look inside my heart and to repent of my sin. It opens up my heart to give grace and to receive grace. I'm more generous, more understanding, more patient, more forgiving. And what is that? That's not something I produce on my own. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. There are amazing miraculous things that I look in, I look at our lives, I look at our marriage, I look at what's happening in the, in the lives of our, of our boys. I look at even things that are happening in this church that started years and years ago with she and I praying together. Things we prayed 20 years ago, we're watching God answer those prayers right now because he doesn't forget those prayer requests. Here's the thing. I do not know of one couple whose marriage fell apart who were regularly praying together, not one. So pray together. I know some of, you, some of you guys are thinking, man, I, I, if, if I pray, it's going to make me vulnerable and feel kind of naked. It's not a bad place to be. Some of you like being naked. You need to be naked in this way, okay? <laughs> All right. Number two, affirm one another. Affirm one another. 
It has been said that when, when you've, it's been said that you're going to find what you look for. You look for faults, you're going to find faults. You look for beauty, and you're going to find beauty. One of the greatest gifts I can give to Amy, and one of the greatest gifts you can give to your spouse, is to, is to give honest, sincere words of affirmation. Um, we just, our elders and lead team just finished a book by a guy named Pete Scazzaro, who wrote a book, several books, but the book we read was called Emotionally Spiritual Leadership. And he says this, when we look for goodness and beauty in one another, and we speak honest words of life over one another, we become like God with skin on for the other. Affirmations heal wounds, cover shame, and communicate how God sees us as infinitely valuable and lovable. However, when we're always critical and always demanding and always looking, you know, for, for, you know, trying to fix the other person, it just sucks the life out of it. It sucks the life out of your spouse and it sucks the life out of your marriage. And here's what I've learned, and I'm still learning this. When I share, when I share with Amy's, Amy, the qualities that I find that are so attractive with her, she feels closer to me, she feels safer with me, and walls begin to come down. We become more intimate with each other. When I'm just, I'm vulnerable and I'm just sharing with her the things that I love about her and, and the, the, the fact that she's beautiful to me and the things that I just, I want to affirm her in. Here's why so many people struggle to give words of affirmation. They've never seen it modeled before. It, they've never, they didn't see it in their home. They didn't see their dad say it to their mom or their mom say it to their, to their dad or, or they don't have a clear understanding of how God views them or, how, or how they, who they are in Christ. When your relationship with God is based upon performance or never feeling like you, you measure up to his standards, you're going to transfer those expectations onto your spouse. You're just going to. If you're always looking at God and it's always this treadmill of performance or, Lord, I never measure up and I never earn your... You're going to transfer that to your kids. You're going to transfer that to your, to your wife or husband. But when I realize what Christ did for me on the cross and how I was complete in him... And as a result of Jesus, I'm the very righteousness of, of Christ because of what Jesus, I can rest and receive that. And I, not only do I receive words of affirmation better, but I'm free to give those life, life-giving words to Amy and to my boys and to other people. I can inspire people when I realize that I'm complete in Christ. The third thing is you have to make your life and your marriage an adventure together. In my marriage vows to Amy, I promised her, that I would be in charge of fun. I, she had kind of this look on her face when I said that to her when we were standing, um, you know, facing each other and we, we actually wrote our vows out to each other. And I told her, I said, for the rest of our lives, I'm going to be in charge of fun. So here's what I have to do to, make, to keep that promise. I'm always trying to figure out something fun to do and to keep fun in front of us. There's always a goal in front of us. There's always something for us to reach towards. There's always an adventure that I want to go on together or a trip that, that, that you know, we can look out you know, in the future and say, we're going on that together. These goals, there's something to look forward to. It's something that, that keeps us looking forward instead of looking behind us. Next December uh, on the 19th, we will have been married for 25 years. So right now, right now I'm planning this little fun, adventurous getaway. And here's why, because life, be, life and marriage, especially when you add kids to the mix and a career and all that's going on, it can become boring and monotonous. And if you're not careful, familiarity begins to creep in. And it's where be, people begin to become discontent in their marriage and they begin to look outside of that marriage for life. And this isn't, isn't just newly married people. These are people who have been married for 25 years or are an empty nest or been married 13 years or 40 years. 
I always want Amy to feel like that she has something to look forward to. I want her, I want us to have goals together, for us to have dreams together about our future. I read a quote uh, the other day that's so powerful. It says, a man without a vision for his future always returns to the past. And that's true in marriage as well. Couples without shared dreams and goals, without an adventure in front of them and, and fun things to do, will begin to look back and will try to find life in the past. So make your marriage an adventure. Number four. All right, number four, and lastly, is stay connected to each other emotionally. You know, I recently saw a movie, and I'm not going to tell you which one, so I don't spoil it for you, but um, there was a man. It had Denzel Washington in it. Don't tell that. Okay, I hate to say it, but it's part of what I'm saying, so now I have to tell you in case you didn't see the movie. Um, This man in the movie, he's telling his wife that he has had an affair, and he says to her, she was just so much fun, and I could laugh with her. And I don't have to talk about the mortgage with her. I can just be myself. And um, she just makes me feel alive. And when I watched this movie and I heard him say that, it just made me feel sick inside. Because I, I thought, that's what's going on in our society. So much of the time, I think that Satan's probably his greatest tool to mess up our marriages is to make us talk business all the time. Probably one of the greatest things that we struggle with as a couple is that we can very quickly become business partners. Like, okay, we've got to study together. We've got to speak together. We've got to travel together. We've got to run this together. And what we have to do is we have to stop talking about the boys as much as we love them. We have to stop talking about the church as much as we love you. We have to stop talking about our schedule and our bills or whatever we have to talk about. And we have to carve out time so that we can just have fun together. Because we don't want to look back and say this was all about business. We want to be able to have fun. And so as married couples, we have to always be best friends and passionate lovers. That's hard to do sometimes um, whenever you're just looking at all of these lists of things that you need to talk about. Who's picking up the dry cleaning? Who got the kids? Who's driving so-and-so here and there? But it's so important that we have fun together. Now, um, as we close, we want to give you this exercise that we think is kind of fun. And this is about, um, this is about knowing yourself, whether you're maybe in middle school or you're in high school or you're married or you're single or divorced, um, if you're a grandparent, this is, this is about knowing yourself and about making a big attempt to know the people that are the closest to you, the people that you love the most. And so we're really, we're really excited about relational healthiness all the way around. So this exercise is for everybody. Okay. So a few years back, uh, we had, uh, I was, was on a retreat in Chicago with our elders here at Westridge and some, a few of our staff members. And one of the pastors that uh, spoke at this, uh, this conference was a guy named Wayne Cadero who uh, is suffering for Jesus on the island of Oahu. Tough calling. But uh, he pastors in Hawaii. And he wrote a book called Leading on Empty. And, and in the book, and he talked about this at the conference, he talked about the importance of, of emotional healthiness. And he used a water cooler like this, an igloo, to demonstrate that. And I want to use that because it's been such an important exercise for us. He talked about the fact that we need to know whether we're married or not. We need to know how we deal with just our emotions. And he used this, this igloo cooler to talk about our emotional tank. 
And he said, here's what you need to know. When your emotional tank gets about three-quarters full, what is it that you do? What, what behaviors come out? When it's about halfway full, how are you acting? When it's about a quarter full, I know for me, my eye starts twitching. I start feeling it in my chest. Bad things like 911 goes off. And he says, when it comes to your emotions, there are always things that drain you. The, the spout is always on. It's either dripping or it's just pouring out, but it never stops. And what you have to do is you have to know what it is that fills you, and you have to know what it is that drains you. But most important, when it comes to marriage, you have to decide that your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, they are going to become your lifelong partner in helping to fill this emotional tank. Knowing that, that you can't be everything for them, but you speak into this, and no one else plays this role in your life. No one plays this role. Your wife or your husband plays this role. What happened? It's about to fall off okay. the edge of the table. All right, so anyways, um, so I was so excited about this talk. I came back, uh, landed at the airport. I called Amy on the phone. I said, meet me at the Hiram Starbucks. And so she met me up there, and I had a bunch of Starbucks, Star, Starbucks napkins on the table. And I said, Amy, here's what I want to do. I explained this whole exercise to her about the cooler, about emotions. And I said, here's what I want to do. I want to make a commitment to you for the rest of my life that I will help you to fill your emotional tank But what I need to know is I need to know what fills you and what drains you. And so I took a card like this or a napkin and I drew six lines on one side and six lines on another. And I said, write down what fills you, write down what drains you. And I did the same thing. And we shared those things together. And I told her, I said, I'm going to commit to you for the rest of my life to help you. Okay, because this is always draining. To always be filled up as those things, as other things are draining you. Some of those things I can help her with, some of those things I can't. Only Christ can help her with some of those things that drain her. I was hoping as she wrote out the draining list that I wasn't on it because that would have been a big problem. Hey, um, hey can I add something? Please do. Um, one of the things that, that fills me up is getting to be with my family because I've never had a chance to live near any of my, my sisters or my brother or my parents. And, and so, especially when we moved here, just having cell phone time or being able to travel every now and then and see my family, that fills me up. That was one of the things on my list. Yep. And so he tries to make sure that, that I have a good cell phone plan. That I can talk to, that I can go see I'm, my family. I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you about what she just said. Okay? Because for a lot, of, a lot of years, I didn't want her to leave. I didn't want her to go travel to see her parents. Not, I love her mom and dad. I just didn't want her to be, I didn't want to be gone from her. And even though I travel and I'm gone for her quite a bit sometimes. But I just, it was like, and so when she wrote that down, I said, you know what? If this fills her tank, I need to make that happen for her. Because when she comes back filled up, guess what? I'm happier. All right? We're all happier. All right? Kids are happier. The dog's happier. Everybody's happy. So anyways, uh, that was something that I had to just come to grips with and go, I'm going to make that happen for her. That she gets to spend time with her family because we've never lived around them since we've been married. So here's what, as you walk out here today, we're going to give you a card like this. This is your homework. We want you to take, uh, you and your spouse, to sit down on a date this week. We want you to write down the, the, the six things that fill you, the six things that drain you. And we want you to make a commitment to each other that you will spend the rest of your lives working on this. We want you to talk about, okay, what are things like when you're you know, quarter full or half full or three quarters full? Guys, let me give you a big hint, a big thing. Don't tell your wife what she's like when she's about a half full, okay? Let her tell you. <laughs> All right? And, and be right. surprised by it, even though you know. All right, so make this your homework this week. Now, when I was younger, I remember my pastor saying that the greatest gift that he could give his church and our community was a healthy, loving marriage. And I, I didn't understand that until I became the pastor of this church in 1997. But I totally agree with that statement. Because here's the truth. A healthy marriage 
is the loudest gospel message that we have because it points to something extremely important. What does our marriage point to? It points to Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that our marriage is a picture of Christ and his love for the church. Our, early, our earthly marriage is a sign that points to one day when we will be united with Christ and, and be fulfilled by his love, which, talk, which all is laid out in the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelations chapter 19 and 21. When a marriage is thriving, when it's healthy, when it's loving, it's, it's, it's preaching the love of Jesus to your kids. You may have never heard that before. You want your kids to see Jesus? Let your marriage preach that love to them. You want your friends and family members and neighbors and the community to see Jesus? Let your marriage be the loudest gospel message because what it, what's your marriage doing? It is a sign. It's, it's, it's a miracle. It, it's a mystery. It points people to Jesus Christ. Now, as we close, I know that some of you, uh, you may be struggling right now in your relationship with Christ and, and as a result, it's impacting your marriage. I want you to know that, that this series is, we really... The series was set up because of some things that we had heard and realizing that there are a lot of you who are struggling in your marriage. And so I'm hoping that some of these things help you. But the next series is going to help you even more. And let me tell you what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to just tell you honestly, and I love you, and I'm going to say this in love. When we do relationship series, marriage series, felt need series, we pack the place out. The next series, not so much. And the next series, if you can get this, is going to be so much the answer to what we're talking about here today. We're going to spend February all the way through December looking at the life of Jesus. Part of our mission statement here includes the words fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to become. One of the things that that I've realized and recognized is, is that people can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus if you don't know what he said, you don't know how he lived, you don't know what he was all about. We sometimes we want four points because we're like, okay, that can fix this. No. The only thing that's going to truly fix you, fix your marriage, is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. The only thing that's going to help you to have the marriage you want to be, you, you want to have, to raise the kids, is to know how Jesus lived, to apply those words to your life. So I want, to make, I want you to make a commitment to not just be here the next few weeks as we talk about marriage and relationships, but to be here for the rest of the year as we talk about Jesus. And we want you to bring your Bible because we're going to go through the first four books for the, ne- for the rest of the year. We've never done a series that long. It's probably going to be the most important series we've ever done. It will change and revolutionize and radicalize your life. Okay? I want you to bow your head for just a moment. Some of you in here today, uh, you can't have the marriage you want or the life you want because you've never met Jesus Christ before. He's not part of your life. He, you, you do not have a personal relationship with him. And this morning... January 15th, 2017 could be the turning point of your life. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and received God's gift of salvation, a gift that's been offered to you freely, that you receive by faith this gift of grace, now's your moment. Now's this turning point moment that not only allows you to have things made right between you and God, which is not right now without Jesus. It's not, things are not right. Not only affirms and confirms your your eternity in heaven. But it helps you to live the day to day with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've never received God's love and God's free gift of salvation, I want you to pray with me at this moment. Just say, Lord, at this moment, right now, I ask Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. Lord, I, I have never made things right between me and you. Right now, things are not good. We're enemies according to your word. But Jesus broke down that barrier 
He made things right. He created a path so I can have forgiveness and have new life in Christ alone. He did that all on the cross. Everything was accomplished on the cross. And so, Lord, as we talk about being complete in Christ, I, I want that, but I can only have it through Jesus. So right now I receive that free gift of salvation into my life, and I ask Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. If you just prayed that for the first time, I want you to get your Get Connected card out, take it to the Help Center. We want to help you to take your next step in becoming a truly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, for the rest of us, may we take a moment right now. If there's some things that are broken inside of us, Lord, because of sin, because of selfishness, because of our own pride and it's impacting our marriage, may we repent and get that right with you at this very moment so that we, things can be right with our husband or our wife or with our kids or our friends or our neighbors. And may you continue to teach us this amazing truth that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.